The frickin' miracle of birth. Well, we should just start. Okay, great. Well, welcome to the frickin' miracle of birth mini episode with Colleen and Georgina. So, folks, today we're trying something a little bit different. This is a mini episode, and if you're wondering what that is, well... You know, I just got a blast of background noise. It's like very. Oh, is it? Um, now it's it's dying down now. It might have been my son walking on the roof. I mean, not on the roof. He it feels like the roof because of the yeah. basement. Um, yeah. I think that's probably what it is. He's getting set up for his shows time, and so he's going to arrange everything. <laughs> I don't even know I, what he's doing. I love that. It's yeah. like, this is my time. Yeah. I have, like, a certain <laughs> feng shui that accompanies my special time. Yes, that's especially amazing. when me and Tyler aren't down there because he's like, oh, I can sneak some extra snacks. I can do whatever. So there's usually a little bit more back and forth happening. Yeah. I don't blame him. Well, anyway, back to uh, what a mini episode is. So Colleen and I are going to pluck an article from the headlines that discusses pregnancy, birth, and just download a little bit on it. I mean, this wouldn't be a birth and pregnancy podcast without a little bit of timeliness and news. And, you know, birth is political. And I think this format allows us to just have a some timely and candid conversations that are away from any particular person's birth story. So we're trying it out, and this is the first one. Anything else to add, Colleen? Um, I had something really poignant to say like 33 seconds ago, but it's gone now. So <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, don't ever apologize for my crazy brain. It'll come back or it won't. doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. It's like all, all thoughts seem fleeting i feel like pandemic brain is a real phenomenon that yes somebody's probably studying right now yes pandemic brain mixed with like regular mom brain it's like too much i'm used to my thoughts being interrupted every two seconds so then if i have time to put a full one together it usually doesn't happen Totally. Well, the article that we picked today, it was in the Los Angeles Times a couple days ago, and it was uh, Joshua Jackson, the uh, any early 90s babies out here, 80s babies from the Mighty Ducks. He's now a full-grown man actor, and he's as adorable as ever. And let's not forget Dawson's Creek, Team Pacey for life, first of all. <laughs> Second of all, I've recently sort of remembered some of that show because my husband is re-watching it. <laughs> so he'd be like, oh, Pacey and Joey, and like come to me with all the updates. And yeah. I wasn't times. allowed to watch Dawson's Creek. So that doesn't I surprise me. I have no, I have nothing to add. <laughs> I should maybe go back and, but like Dawson's Creek is just not in my like cultural TV wheelhouse. But I do, yes, he was in that show. I know him from... Mighty Ducks. He was in um, Little Fires Everywhere on Hulu. He's on something called Dr. Death now. I, I don't remember what streaming service, but that's why he was in the news and like full disclosure of the origin story of this article. I was just like, Joshua Jackson, what a cutie pie. Um, he was also in Urban Legends, one of the greatest horror films of the late 90s slash early 2000s. Really check it out if you haven't seen it. It's kind of amazing. 
What was I going to say else about Joshua Deck? Oh, well, we have to, we can't, like, open this podcast without discussing Dawson's Creek if you haven't seen it. So, let me describe it to you. Dawson, James Vanderbeek, is a whiny white man who wants to be a filmmaker and um, basically has the hottest best friend, that is Katie Holmes, in the world, but, like, doesn't like her for whatever reason. And she likes him. Also, we can't understand that reason. There's a lot of back and forth for a long time, and then they do date at some point, but spoiler alert, she ends up with Pacey, which, thank God, because he's so much better, which is Joshua Jackson's character. So I've summed up the entire show for you. You're welcome. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Also, there is sex in it, which is why your parents probably didn't want you to watch it. Very, very crazy idea, teenagers having sex, so. Yeah, I feel like that was the big, like, in one of my teen magazines, I read about that development in Dawson, mm-hmm. and but I, you know, having never seen an episode, just don't know firsthand. Yeah. He also filmed his first time uh, without the consent of the woman. So, yeah, kind of creepy. Oh, no. Wait, Joshua Jackson? No, 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 no. The show. On the show. Oh. He's a filmmaker, right? James Vanderbeek's character, Dawson. And so he films his first time with this character. And I can't, I'm sure she ripped him a new one when she found out. I don't really remember what happened, but just the idea that that's something that one should do, I'm hoping is out of, like, the cultural norms now. Like, that that would cross, like, a non-rapist mind. Like, I should film this without asking them. No. Yeah, that's that's a crime, everybody. Yeah. That's a crime! Yeah. (laughs) Colleen and I are lawyers. We don't give legal advice on this podcast, but I'm just gonna go ahead and say safely, that's a crime. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So... Um, yes, Dawson. So anyway, LA Times, Joshua Jackson, um, just was talking about how he and his partner, I, I believe now wife, Jody Turner Smith, um, had a home birth for their daughter in, last year. And the reason they were really, you know, forthcoming, the reason, the reason was medical racism. His partner, Jody Turner Smith from Queen and Slim, I, I forget what else she's in, um, Another actor, she um, wrote an essay in British Vogue just about her decision to have a baby at home and why and just wanting full agency in her birth and just this fear that medical racism would not only um, mark their birth experience, but I mean, could kill her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I just, um, just kudos to them for sharing um but again this was just joshua jackson was just in the news for you know mentioning that um and um really it was a follow-up because you know his partner had already written that article and she wrote an essay in british vogue like a few months ago about it but it was just in the news again so thought we would you know talk about just black maternal health and you know, the decision to have the home birth. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I think she, you know, in, in, I read both the LA Times article and the British Vogue essay. Mm-hmm. And in the essay, it just, um, it also just sounded like it was just like a way to carve out agency, not only um, for health and safety reasons due to medical racism, but I mean, she was giving birth in 2020. So mm-hmm. global pandemic and they had the means and access to, to have a home birth. 
Yeah. I think one of the things that stuck out to me about it in general was just this reminder that I'll always have whenever I think about this time of, like, it's A, so crazy to go from being a non-pregnant person to a pregnant person, and then a pregnant person to, like, you have a baby. Like, that transition is insane, no matter what, because you just, like, so many surprises come at you, and it's just this huge transformation. And then to all the moms doing it in a pandemic, there's, like, no tidbits of advice from your friends or your family or your grand. You know, there's no one who can be like, well, this is what I've done, and it was super helpful. It's like they're, they're all experiencing all the novelty of becoming a parent mixed with all the novelty of having to give birth in a pandemic at the same time, and it's just, like, really intense, and I just feel for those moms. And I think now there's more, because it's been going on for so long, there's more moms, like, leaning on each other and saying, yay, this is what it was like for us, and you know, this is what we struggled with, this helped me. But in the beginning, it was, like, just such new territory for everyone. So just, like, anyone who struggled with that, I hope that you feel that you're not alone anymore because it must have been the most isolating feeling in the world. For sure. Can't imagine. And, I mean, to read Jody uh, Turner-Smith's, like, account of just her birth and just the moment that she was in I think she spent some time in the article just grappling with how to explain her daughter the death of George Floyd and you know all the other black Americans at the hands of law enforcement it was just I think too a way she was like in that article too processing some grief Mm -hmm. yeah I think her story, because she, she doesn't get, go into the great detail about her birth story. But no, she really, doesn't. It sounded just like it was, like, really beautiful, and they also just felt like this would be, like, again, creating a space where she had full agency and would be listened to. Because I, I think that was touched on in the article, just this fear of not being listened to. And the L.A. Times article that, you know, Joshua Jackson was quoted um, in it, they also talked about, like, other high-profile celebrity black births where it's, like, Beyonce and Serena Williams also having, you know, complications. And then just this this fear that there wasn't space for them in, you know, traditional medical institutions. Yeah, and for anyone who hasn't read about Serena Williams' experience, so she had had, before this birth, had previously had a pulmonary embolism, so she knew what that felt like and what was going on with her. Right after birth, she had another one, and she's like, I'm feeling this feeling again. I need help. She's talking to her nurses and doctors. They're like, basically like, yeah, yeah, whatever. You're crazy. I mean, they didn't say you're crazy, but they were very dismissive, and she was like, no, I'm legitimately going to die. Like, you need to help me. And because of this just institutionalized dismissing of a, women's pain, but B, especially black women's pain, of just not seeing them as, like, an expert on their own body, um, or maybe valuing that body the same as a white body. I don't know what, what all is in the mix there, but um, they ignored her, and it, luckily, I think they, obviously, she's still alive, so they fixed it in time, but just to go through any amount of time where you, like, know you're in a medical crisis, and to have your caretakers just not care and not be worried about it just is something that happens to any person of color way more than happens to a white person and happens to women more than happens to men. Uh, And it happens the absolute most to black women. So 
so yeah, it's like a, it's not just like a perceived thing. It's like been studied and shown that this happens regularly and causes very, very disparate outcomes in um, black maternal health. And it, it touches on another issue of like, a lot of people will talk about, oh, well, this isn't a, a race thing. This is a class thing. Like this is happening to low income women and there's whatever, something happening there. But like Serena Williams is like at the top class, like richer than like a most of the white people in this country so it was nothing to do with like status or celebrity or money it was like specifically because she was black she was getting ignored so that's how you know the system is not working correctly yes and again this is like we're talking about the system it's just like the, the institutions in in which like medical professionals are trained i mean i like go on twitter and i pretty regularly see accounts of like med students or doctors just recalling like not seeing black bodies in textbooks mm-hmm. um, another medical racism celebrity medical racism story Angelina Jolie talked about how one of her daughters um, was she was she was in the hospital with one of her daughters and a nurse said you know can you page me if her skin turns pink I think they were monitoring something like post-op I really forget the details mm-hmm. but that that was what stuck with me was that comment I think it stuck with Angelina Jolie too she's like well you know my daughter's skin is not going to turn pink yeah um and and it's not that individual like this isn't we're not here on this podcast trying to call individual not doctors or nurses but it's just about training yeah just like how uh, you know law schools across this country don't train lawyers to grapple with racism and being anti-racist in their own law practices it's just the same thing we're not given the tools if you're not given medical textbooks that show black bodies or how certain skin conditions or certain conditions present on Mm -hmm. different skin tones on different people on women i mean that's another we don't even have sometimes um you'll hear accounts of women you know like a lot of testing and and it is it's done really it's oriented for males and, Mm -hmm. and male bodies yeah, like a lot of the average, um, like medication, over-the-counter medication is really geared towards a male frame and male metabolism for medication. It has nothing to do with how much a woman should take, which is yeah, kind of crazy because we're yeah. like half the people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> actually yes. over half. <laughs> and you'd think that like labeling even would like catch up, right? Or uh-huh. that they would find like new innovations, but I mean, it's still a space where. I just don't think there's there's really enough funding and testing into women's health. I mean, most recent example was the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, and they were talking about how they paused it at one point. I don't know if you recall, Colleen, it was like early in the spring. Mm-hmm. They paused the the vaccination of, for the Johnson and Johnson because of risk of blood clots. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people pointed out, like, the risk of blood clots from hormonal birth control is greater. Yeah. But yeah. When... <laughs> yep. And I, I, I did talk to my doctor about this, actually, this week, because I was getting my hormonal birth control removed because I just did not agree with my body at all. And, you know, just shared, just, you know, shared that thought of, like, what is happening mm-hmm. in 2021 where like you know this is the state of like women's health and our like the research that goes into a lot of the medicine which we rely on anyway yeah and i think it's there's always this sort of like we have a natural deference 
to our doctors because they are an expert, which is good. We should have that deference. But um, being able to have that doctor let you advocate for yourself is an important thing as well because you do know your own body better than anybody, you know, you're going to know your symptoms and everything better than any, like, questionnaire of symptoms. You're going to know, oh, and then there was this other random thing, you know, so having doctors be able to listen and really hear everyone of all races is so important. Um, I was thinking about this article. Uh, I know there's, in the Twin Cities, there's a, a, what do you call it? Let me look it up really quick. Like a cooperative? or uh, Metro Midwifery. It's uh-huh. a black home birth initiative for this exact reason of like these women are not getting the care that they need in the traditional system so like let's give them support at home where they can actually be like heard um and have safer births and oh see there was the thought and then it just flew off like a little butterfly in the night (laughs) (laughs) oh it was really deep i'm sure yeah i forget where i was going with that No, but I mean, I think it's an important point to bring up. It's just like, uh, you know, we as a community have a responsibility to listen to black women and advocate for black women and, um, yeah, ensure that everybody has resources they need to have, like, a safe birth where there's agency. And, like, I think, again, shout out to to Jodi Turismus for just having a public example. Yes. Hey, I felt the need to create space, and here's why. Um, yes. So, like, looking for ways to create space for everybody. Because, I mean, unfortunately, yes. home birth isn't accessible to everybody. Yeah. For a variety of reasons. Yeah. Not just monetary. Like, or you just don't want to give birth at home. Yeah. You know, but, but again, whatever. Or you're high risk and you can't give birth at home. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But, like, whatever your reason, whatever your birth situation set up, it's just a place where you'll be listened to. Because I think yeah. that that's a common goal, everyone. Yeah. Oh, I was just thinking about how, like, I, I whenever we talk about these things, I want to, like, push forward the agenda by having some sort of, like, solution or action item. And I think that even as just a regular person walking into our doctor's office, like if you're going into your OBGYN, you can say, hey, I was wondering, you know, if you have, especially if you have a white doctor, what do you guys, have you guys been studying black maternal health specifically? Or do you guys have any like trainings you guys are doing? Just like a curious, open question, like, hey, I read this article. And what are you guys doing? And just sort of open that thing, like, open that conversation with them, and if they're like, I have no fucking idea what you're talking about, then you can say, I'm going to send you this article. (laughs) And if they say, oh, yeah, we are, and here's what we're doing, you know, just to, like, it's something that if you feel moved to do so, you can talk to your doctor about, you know, what they're doing in that area, because it's so important. Um, And even if it's not your OBGYN, it could just be a regular, like, family practice person say, do you guys work on like health disparities at all is your practice doing anything to try and make that better um it's a one second question and they might have a really good answer they might have no idea but it could open the conversation where it's not like where a black person is already in a health crisis and then they're trying to advocate for themselves and then the doctor isn't listening for whatever reason like it's it's an emergency it's a good like if you go in and you're not a person of color or you're not, it's even specifically a black woman, and you say, hey, what about this? So it's not affecting you in that same way. Like, you're not in a crisis, but you open up the conversation with, like, a curiosity. I feel like that's one thing we can do as just ordinary people. 
to kind of make sure the conversation is happening in doctor's offices. No, that's a great idea because it, the onus is not on black women to solve this. Yes, exactly. Like, this is something being done to them and this is just, I feel like conversations about racism in many contexts are important to have. It's mm-hmm. awkward. Like, even mm-hmm. this one, I mean, full disclosure, really intimidated to have a conversation <laughs> about race in a public I mean, this is public. We're publishing this. Like, mm-hmm. a public space. Um, it's awkward. I don't get it right all the time. Mm-hmm. None Same. of us do. Same. Um, but I think we just have a responsibility to keep talking about it and to keep being awkward and keep owning it and keep owning that it's not going to be perfect, but it's still important and worth having. And Yeah. And, like, so if it seems intimidating to ask your doctor that question, I mean, please think about how you don't have to get it perfect yeah (laughs) and you don't have to have a you know if if you feel dismissed or um you don't feel heard that's also data too because it's worth like then saying you know maybe this healthcare provider isn't for me or maybe you know i need to think about wow what if that was my experience or maybe i'll fill out the survey that says you know they're always sending you some damn survey so fill out and say hey i think this issue is important it should be brought up you know someone's gonna look at that yeah the reason i thought about that was because we did a bunch of trainings at my work um after george floyd died and one of them talked about how you know you don't have to wait for your manager or your leadership to make you know racial justice in the workplace matter you don't have to wait for them to give you instructions on what to do like it can start from the employees like the bottom of the totem pole people which is me um up and say like ask for it and push for it and if all the employees are wanting this thing then it kind of trickles up to management and that made me think of like patients are the same kind of way like if we're just a random patient walking in bringing this up you know we're not the leadership at that hospital or that place but like people are going to hear it and if we all are mentioning this then it gets noted like hey people are talking about this and it matters to people even if they aren't you know that person of color Yeah, it just, the conversations need to be had and the issue needs to be reminded because honestly, a lot of racial justice stuff, it's like, that's work and that's hard and that takes a lot of time. And so it's easy to back burner it if it's not directly affecting you. So it need, we need to do the job of like bringing it up over and over and over again and making sure it's on people's minds. Because I think a lot of the change that doesn't happen isn't because people don't mean well it's because they get sidetracked very easily by day-to-day stuff totally and i mean that's how these systems function is to make it it, it's not meant to be convenient or easy yeah it's anti-racist work Mm -hmm. so we it's like an active you have to take action yeah and it's hard it's hard to know you know you feel like just one person it can feel lonely but i mean that's why I think it's great to have conversations like this because it's a reminder, like, I'm not the only one that cares and I know you're not the only other one that cares. I mean, and also these experiences happen to a lot of people, not just people experiencing poverty, but glamorous celebrities. Yes. Yes. <laughs> like, if you're not listening to Queen Bay, then, like, there's something yeah. wrong with you. Yes. <laughs> or the system. Yeah. Yes, yes. Because I'm going to tell you, if Queen Bay walked into my house and was like, clean the toilet with your tongue, I'd be like, fine, okay, whatever you say. <laughs> <laughs> you obviously have this figured out. 
<laughs> oh my gosh. I also just wanted to point out some of the sweet and like poignant um moments from um Jody Turner Smith's story mm-hmm. that stuck with me. Joshua Jackson apparently told her at one point, there's no way I'm missing any of this, which... Oh, I know. I died. <sighs> so sweet. And she, he was talking about, like, all of the, like, tests on, you know, like, he wanted her to wait to take her pregnancy test till she came home so he could be with her and, like, all... she He, like, traveled with her to all of her filming while she was pregnant because he was just like, I don't want to miss any of this, which I thought was so sweet and cute and good. Yes. And during her labor, he, like, ran her a bath. I mean, it just sounds like a very – there's – I mean, I'm sure she didn't go into all the details. But just, oh, my gosh, can you imagine Pacey running you a bath? (laughs) No. My head would explode. (laughs) Like, this is too good. Yeah, they're just a very, like, I – okay, so apparently, like – because I'm not on social media, I'm addicted to Apple News, and I end up reading celebrity gossip, like, all the time, so I'm very, I'm pretty up on, like, most celebrity happenings, and this is just a celebrity couple that I, like, I think they're just so cute together, yeah. so whenever they're in the news, I'm like, <laughs> and there aren't, like, many that I, I, I wouldn't, like, call myself, like, a regular Us Weekly reader, but Mm -hmm. apparently now without Instagram, because my brain still cannot function without my phone, (laughs) um, just have to get that out there. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I still end up, like, reading a bunch of uh, this celebrity trash, and then, you know, the celebrity trash does have uh, actual value because they do talk, I mean, celebrities are sometimes i mean like i don't even like trendsetters for issues or i mean just they just have have a voice and an audience a platform a platform yes exactly that uh, the average person doesn't have so if they actually have something important to say sometimes it's helpful and i think you know the good ones try to use it for good reasons totally yeah it's like this is a really important cultural conversation i mean serena to speak so bravely about the drama that happened to her mm-hmm. almost dying during childbirth. Like, yeah. You know, to be honest, I feel like that was one of the earlier stories that even got this on my radar. Mm-hmm. I don't think I really paid attention to birth um, and women's health uh, the way I did until after I, I got pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like Serena's story was probably the first time that that came into my consciousness. Um, yeah. I think just, I knew like vaguely of health, the health disparities but I didn't, I hadn't heard that story. And then that kind of like cemented it in my mind. But yeah, previous to giving birth, I even just like reading, you know, I, I read all the like white hippie witch books. And so like, and that's, I stole that joke from Ellie Wong. So it's not my joke. Um, but I read all those and that was sort of like my wheelhouse and it was like even though I love all that stuff and I want everyone to who can and isn't high risk like to be able to have those experiences those aren't even like geared toward or welcoming necessarily to people of color um and so yeah so I was like very firmly in like the whitest birth arena you could be in yeah even though there's people of color all around the world who are doing those births in America that's not necessarily the norm I guess um so yeah I hadn't really thought that much about the health disparities until after I gave birth and it's just like in a in a in this century where we have so many medical advances and 
infant mortality and maternal mortality are so low because we have such good things to fix people when things go wrong. Like, there's no reason for black maternal mortality to be so much higher. It's just just no reason for it. We need to fix it. Yep. (laughs) It's just, it's like this insane tragedy. Anytime a mom dies or baby dies, it's this insane tragedy. But to have it, like, be unnecessary and, like, so preventable, it just makes it even that much more tragic. So we need to, we need to get rid of that disparity. Totally. And it's sometimes when I think about how big this issue is and how it's interconnected to just so many other justice issues Mm -hmm. in this country, it can get overwhelming. But I mean, it's, it's just important to have a conversation. I've definitely tried to adopt a more like begin anywhere, start anywhere, do anything type attitude and Mm -hmm. stop like being so hard on myself. Well, it's like, if I'm not you know, sacrificing myself on the altar of social justice from morning till night, then it's not worth doing. That's, like, the worst attitude to have. Yeah, so just again, do something. Anything. Yes. Anything. Literally anything. <laughs> and then, and, and, and be happy with the effort that you do, and, mm-hmm. and don't beat yourself up about the other 10,000 things you could be doing. Yeah. yeah. Um, that, I think, is so key. Yeah. Um, did you know that Joshua Jackson is, like, part Canadian? I oh, yes. I did not know this until I read that article, and I was like, oh, well, that explains why he's so nice, and, like, I feel like the Canadians, I'm sure there's plenty of racism and shitheadism in Canada, but I feel like, on average, they're just, like, a couple steps ahead of America in terms of all that stuff, so I was like, this makes sense why he was like, I want to be there every step of the way, and just, like, have that general, like, Canadian goodness that I like so admire and love. I just like to fantasize about Canada just being this promised land up north, just to feel like there's something like there's that some that still exists. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah, he yeah, he's from Vancouver, which is one of the most beautiful cities in the world to me. I love that city. Yeah. Because I was listening to I think it was like I want to say Mike Myers, of all people, because he's also Canadian, talking about um, Canada and how because of, like, their socialized medicine and school and stuff, like, actually more people are living the American dream in Canada than in America. (laughs) Like, there are people that move there, immigrate there, and, like, by the next generation, they've, like, built up this wealth because they haven't had to be, like, you know, completely impoverished by paying for healthcare in school. So, so yeah, you know yeah. what? It is a utopia, and I will glorify it and, like, fantasize about it, because from all, like, objective accounts, it sounds awesome. Yeah, it would be really awesome to, like, know that if you had a ride in an ambulance, it it wouldn't be, like, a thousand dollars for a five-minute ride. Literally, when I was having appendicitis, I'm lying on my bathroom floor going... Maybe I can make it until the morning to see my regular provider, which will cost $35 plus whatever the test costs, and not have to go to the hospital and spend $1,000 just to walk in the door. This is what I'm thinking as I'm, like, having the worst pain of my life. Like, I'm, like, hoping it's just food poisoning or, like, an extra bad something, you know, but not, like, the end is nigh. But I'm, like, weighing... 
I don't want to spend $2,000 to have someone tell me I have indigestion. So I'm like, I can't go. It's not okay. I should just stay here. And then finally, when I got to the point where I was like, this pain is so bad, I'd be willing to pay $2,000, even if it was just in my head, but they gave me some medication when I was there just to make it go away. That's when I decided to wake up my husband and go. <laughs> but like, that's, that's where we're at in America. I'm like, Life or death decision. Is it worth two thousand dollars? I feel like that is a very typical experience in American healthcare. Like we all are making like these patently ridiculous judgment calls because we are just we're hamstrung. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's expensive and it's inaccessible and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I remember being in the hospital with Noelle. We were in the NICU. It was, like, day two. And it was it had been enough, like, the dust had settled, and Noelle was, like, fine enough where I finally let my mind go to, like, the how much will this cost question uh-huh. and what's, what is happening. I mean, we had insurance, but, again, I you just hear such horror stories, uh-huh. right, that you're just, like, I don't even – no, like, will this even be cut? Who knows? I yeah. just always expect the worst. Right? Yeah. Just like, yeah. Yeah. But just like, this will be covered. And I remember talking to Adam about it. He was like, we're just going to file for bankruptcy. Like, I mean, which is just, again, like, it was really helpful to, like, you know, hear him, but just like, this is what's happening. This is like, who cares? You know, we're in this moment. But yeah, I mean, I'm like in the NICU with my daughter going, can I afford this? Which yes. is it's nuts. crazy. It's crazy yes. town. Yes. And, like, one of the things that I just find insanely triggering and weird is that, like, when you go to any kind of a medical appointment, there's not, like, okay, checking in, now I'm going to pay, you know, $78 for this. Or, like, okay, and here's this test, and that's going to be $150. Okay, pay right away. It's, like, here's the test we recommend. Get it, don't get it, do whatever you want, but we're recommending this. And you're like, okay, I guess I'll get it. It sounds like the safest option. Get the test. You've already paid maybe 30 to $50 your copay. That's done. Then you go home. You're like, hmm, I wonder how much that bill's going to be. And you wait like literally a month. Yes. Some asshole has to figure out what they're going to charge you for that, put it on a piece of paper, and wait a month to send it to you. So like, your healthcare decision is a month behind you, let alone if you've gone to three appointments in a row to take care of this, you still don't know what the first one cost. And a month later, you get the first bill and you're like, oh shit, I have three more of these coming. Like, it's just, there's no, there's no like market forces that can happen on healthcare because you don't have any information. Like, you're not able to make the decision you would when you go into a grocery store and you're like, Hmm, do I want to get the fancy cheese or the cheap cheese? Well, the cheap cheese is only this much, and that's what I have, so that's what I'm going to pick. You, like, there isn't such thing in healthcare. And, like, even if you were in the doctor's office and you wanted to be like, I need to check with my insurance about how much that test is going to take. The doctor's not going to wait for you to call because they need to see you in 20 minutes and be done. So you would probably have to schedule another appointment to come back. Like, there's just... There's no way to know what you are going to pay, which makes your decision-making completely ridiculous. Like, yeah, it's, yeah, something about waiting a month to get your bill for, like, $700 that you had no idea was coming, this just makes me insane. I'm like, I 
I don't understand. Even when I take my car in, and I know they're going to charge me way more than I want to, I know before they they charge me and before they do the repair work, it's going to cost $2,000. And I can say, yes, or no, I'm going to get my bike fixed instead. You know? like, yes. Yes. But you just can't do that with medical care. You're like, well, Russian roulette. No, my uh, mom used to say all the time growing up, health is wealth. But, mm-hmm. like, literally. Yes. <laughs> wealth is, is health. Yes. Like, <laughs> anytime you're sick in the United States, it's going to be expensive. Yes. I mean, and even if you're lucky, lucky enough to have health insurance, mm-hmm. it's still going to be expensive. It's yeah. pretty, it's pretty wild. Um, so... Anyway, this, I feel like we have, we've like meandered a lot of <laughs> black maternal health, but I mean, it, it's all, again, this is all interrelated. It's all tied up. Um, it's, it's just, it's a system that's based on, on racism and exploitation. So this is, these are the outcomes you're going to get. It's kind of like, you know, everyone's like, oh, the system's broken. The system is designed, is working exactly the way that it's designed. It's designed. So. Yeah. Here we are. Yeah. Woo-hoo. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think we can make it better. And I think that's why we're having this conversation. Otherwise, we'd just be like, well, life's a bitch and then you die. And we wouldn't be talking about it at all. But I think that we all have a role to play in making it better. I don't know how to fix the bill coming a month later thing. But if I get any information on that, I will get back to you. <laughs> but... Yeah, you're right. We can. We have agency. We all have our own little platforms. And we can listen to black women. Yes. And we can we can let more black doctors into medical school. Amen. Yeah. And, hey, can we get rid of the requirement that people take organic chemistry to get into medical school? Oh, gosh. Don't even get me started why? on standardized tests. Why? Why? So dumb. So stupid. <laughs> If anyone wants to, if anyone has like a standardized test venting shit on fest podcast, <laughs> Chloe and I will go to that and talk to you about how we have lost years of our lives to stupid standardized tests. Yes, years of our lives, thousands of dollars, yes. Uh, <laughs> Just yes. to prove that we were elite enough to get into some <laughs> pointless money-making institution. Oh. Um... <laughs> Uh, do you have any fake sponsors this week? Oh, um, yes, I do. Uh, if you do, go I do. Ahead. Yeah. Okay, go, um, go. So Georgina and I actually hung out in person inside this week, which was the first time I think since the pandemic. So it's kind of insane. And um, I was just like hanging out, and you know, we're doing our thing. And then I was like, after a while, I was like, oh, I'm actually in awe of hanging out with another human being, functional adult, who doesn't need anything from me. (laughs) Like, I felt like I was at the zoo, and she was just, like, a little cute elephant, like, walking around doing her little (laughs) things, like, eating her little snacks, putting in her contact solution. But, like, not once did she need a fucking thing from me. And I was like, this is so novel and great. Because, like, obviously with your kids, they always need a million things from you. And then with your partner... There's always a fraught tension of, like, are you getting in my way? Am, 
do you need something for me? And I can't believe you need something for me because these kids need everything for me. So you're not allowed to need anything for me, but obviously they still do because they're your partner or like, you're not doing enough of the things that I am for me. So even when they are like innocuously, like really not trying to piss you off, there's just a tension there that you don't have when you're with like a non-household member. <laughs> and I was seriously in seventh heaven. I was just like, what's she going to do next? Like put her shoes on all by herself. <laughs> It was such a treat. It was such a treat. So I mean, that's my sponsor this week. Watching this is, functional adults function. This is why the pandemic harmed us in ways that we can't even <laughs> know. Because it's just like these are the interactions that you miss. miss. Like you don't get. Yeah. yeah. Because you are you get a concentrated amount of time doing the same thing with mm-hmm. the same people. Mm-hmm. And like that's just that does not happen. So Wow, I feel um, honored that that's your sponsor. I felt similarly. It was, it was really, it was really great. It felt very good to be with you in person. Um, I actually was going to mention that at the top of the, at the of the pod. Um, my pod, my sponsor this week. I touched on earlier, but my sponsor is uh, agency to make your own medical decisions because nice. I tried the arm implant birth control because it was actually a very snazzy quick insertion procedure and Mm -hmm. the theory of it is extremely snazzy and if it works for you i am so jealous that is amazing what's the theory of it It, i mean there's no theory it's just like it's just that it's like one and done type thing it's like one and done and it's in your body for three years it works you don't have to think about it it's highly effective yeah and it's a low dose of hormones and for me i am trying to avoid estrogen because of my blood pressure Mm -hmm. and so this is just this was an option for me that we wanted to try because it uh is you know estrogen free and very effective and not near my uterus another thing i just was into it's like you know, it's in your arm, which mm-hmm. just, I think the thought of getting poked in the arm just really does not bug me. Yeah. Um, and it's right there. You can like feel it and see it. And as somebody that's like, if you're at all sketched out by, by medical devices or anything, I felt like this was just so tangible and nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just didn't work. You know, when you know, again, it's about listening to your body and like knowing your body. And for me, I was like, I don't like this. Mm-hmm. Does that make me feel good? And I, it probably would get better, but I don't want to wait and see. Mm-hmm. And just the ability to make that decision uh, and having any kind of agency and the ability to act on it, I'm just very pleased. So yes, like this podcast is about, uh, this particular podcast episode was about just you know, times when people don't have that, but mm-hmm. I got to experience a little bit of it today, or not today, but this week, so mm-hmm. that's my sponsor. That's awesome. Just, yeah. Do you um, feel like young Georgina would have felt that agency? Because I feel like when I was younger, I was like, I have to suffer, I have to do what authorities tell me to do, and I can't change my mind because it's going to piss somebody off, even if that was completely in my head. But I don't know if you had that, because you've always been a little bit more self-determined than me, I feel like. So it's funny, I guess just this particular example, I have been on a hormonal birth control before I was on like some kind of combined pill that did not agree with me. I've always done best with like the mini pill. That Mm -hmm. was like, that's like my tried and true, my OG. Mm -hmm. And I went on for a little bit, like, I don't, I don't know the term. I'm not a doctor, a regular birth control Mm -hmm. and like just felt 
awful. Like, like the way that I felt on the arm implant, just vomit. And I, I just knew. So it's just like, I knew that this was not the right thing for me and I stopped it. Yeah. And that was a, I like another decision. Um, and I was in a place in my life where that felt like a, like a healthy and safe decision. Mm-hmm. I know that not everybody has that. Yeah. Um, but it, when you were younger, did you feel that same, like, self-determination about medical stuff? Or is this something you've come into as you've aged and you've given fewer fucks about other people's opinions? Is my I question. Think, I think I, I always have because I've always tied medical decisions with the ability, with, like, my safety. Yeah. Physically and economically. Okay. Um, so I think, yes, because I've always, I've always almost tied it, like, this is a life or death decision in the sense that, like, I can't get pregnant right now. Yes. That would really, (laughs) (laughs) that would really mess this up. So I've always like been pretty like decisive Mm -hmm. and, um, I've always felt like I have to make certain decisions and certain calls because they have material impacts on my life. And it's just like the lens that's been easiest. Granted, like, you know, it's, it's like led to some, you know, situations that I like don't, I don't, I don't know if I always made the right call, but I made a call. Yeah, um, yeah. So. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I was just one, just curious, because I, yeah. I have, like, now that I'm an old person, I'm like, well, I'm just going to tell you what I want, because you don't care enough about me for me to listen to your bullshit. But I didn't always have that. I was very, like, deferential, so just, I was just curious about that. So, you answered my question. Yeah, like, I remember I asked for a pap smear, like, at a pediatric appointment, (laughs) (laughs) which, like, I don't know, I think it's because, like, the doctor, like, didn't know I was, like, sexually active, and I knew I was, and I knew that that was something that I needed to start getting screened for, Yeah, and I just, again, because I equated it with a life or death decision, because I was also, like, deathly afraid of, of, STIs. Yes, yes. Like, because they scare you. They scare you to death. They scare you, um, even though it's like really just knowledge is power and information is power. Yeah. Yeah, I've always, I think that in this instance, it's helped me. But I I know it's not like that for everybody. Yeah. Well, I hope that everyone is, does feel empowered to do that and feels safe doing that with their provider because it's best. It's the best. It's the best. Well, this has been a great little mini. I don't know how mini it is, but we, uh, I, I really enjoyed talking to you. I really enjoyed talking to you, too. <laughs> I hope that our ramblings, especially my, like, old white lady ramblings, are actually something people want to listen to. But, you know, rate, review, and subscribe, and you can let us know. <laughs> yes, yes. All right. Well, thanks. This has been another episode of the Freaking Miracle of Birth. I'll see you, see you all next time. Yeah, take care. Bye. Bye.